0: Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you so much for joining me as always. It's an absolute pleasure to bring you these incredible conversations. If I could just ask a really quick favour, please do hit the follow or subscribe button on whichever platform you're using to listen to this podcast. It makes a big difference to the the algorithms and the way the, the podcast is shown to more and more people. So I really appreciate that. Thank you so much indeed for all your support. Now today I'm talking to Joni Degner. Now she's going to be talking to me about text help. Founded back in 1996, the Texthelp Group is a global technology company helping people all over the world to understand and to be understood. It has led the way in creating innovative technology for the education and workplace sectors for the last three decades. Texthelp believes in a world where difference, disability or language are no longer barriers. It is focused on helping all people learn, understand and communicate through the use of digital education and accessibility tools. The Texthelp suite of products work alongside existing platforms such as Microsoft Office and G Suite, enabling them to be integrated quickly into any classroom or workplace with ease. Texthelp can now provide a whole suite of literacy and numeracy support to a greater number of end users all the way across the globe. Now, just before we get going with this interview, the audio that we produce for the podcast is incredibly important to us and something we strive to improve episode on episode. But just occasionally, we do get external noise, which comes in for a variety of reasons. But I thought today's conversation was so impactful and had such great content that despite that background noise, which I really hope doesn't interfere too much with you. um, We wanted to make sure that you heard everything that happened during our conversation. So apologies again, for any background noise that you do hear. But this is my conversation with Joni Degner. Hi Joni. Thank you so much for being here on the Education on Fire podcast. I know that text help is helping millions of people around the world, which is incredibly important. And when I was at BET um, in London earlier this year, I know it was not just a large stand, but was servicing large amounts of people who were just getting so much support from it. So yeah, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here, really excited to be representing Texthelp and um, all of the learners all over the world that we're, we're helping.
0: So first of all, tell me a little bit about how you got involved in Texthelp and, and, and what your role is.
1: Sure. So um, I'm a Territory Director for Texthelp. Um, I support schools in two states in North America, uh, in Indiana and Michigan. Um, and I came to Texthelp as an educator who was a champion for text help solutions in my own classroom. So I was a public educator teaching um, secondary language arts. Um, So I had um, high school age students, you know, ages 14 to 18 years old. And um, one of the things that I think any teachers, educators who are listening can relate to is that, um, you know, I had some of the same struggles that many teachers have, which is that I had so many students. Um, who really struggled with literacy, um, ninth graders who are starting to look like adults, but who are uh, still reading on a you know, a second and third grade level. Um, and one of the things that uh, just was so apparent is that when literacy is a struggle, it is a struggle for students everywhere. Um, because there's really nowhere that students don't go when we're asking them to decode text, even though we are um, kind of moving forward so quickly in um, digital resources and in blended learning and education, we're still pretty text heavy. And um, so I was lucky enough to be working for a school in Columbus, Indiana, um, Bartholomew Consolidated School Corporation. I was lucky enough to be in a school corporation that provided um, text helps read and write literacy solution to all of their learners. Um, and um, at the this uh, school district, we also prioritized universal design for learning. And so we relied heavily on CAST, um, uh, which is the the Mothership of universal design for learning and the, the place where the, the framework and the, the research for the framework originates. We relied on cast very heavily um, for um, the, the learning and the research and the theory uh, around universal design for learning, but for me as an educator, um, text helps solutions help me put it into practice. Um, And then when I I moved into a little bit further into Universal Design for Learning, I started providing professional learning to my own school district and then school districts around the country, uh, North America and Canada, um, and started doing a lot of um, keynoting and public speaking on Universal Design for Learning. And one of the things that um, I always ended up bringing up was text helps read and write. Because if you're a practitioner, you want to put things into practice, that's, that's what you're there to do. And um, for me, read and write gave me something to do to kind of activate universal design for learning in my classroom. And so I was always kind of speaking unofficially on helps behalf because I was always sharing my great experiences. And like I said, I, I had students who were always struggling with literacy, but I also taught um, advanced placement courses. And so I also had students on the other end who always were looking for that challenge to be ever optimized, and I found in, in Read&Write tools that could help those students understand research, understand how to support their own executive function, um, understand um, how to how to be more resourceful and efficient in their work, while those tools provided vital scaffolds for other students for, for these students it was here's how I can make my my engine a little a little greasier a little uh, a little smoother um, and and becoming you know like more motivated in my work when I might not feel like doing it um, so whenever I would go and speak at these conferences um, I would always see um, it was it was always the case that TextHelp was one of the major sponsors, and I was always lucky enough to connect with um, the folks who were there, whether it was from our marketing team in, in Antrim or in, in North America. And it just became so apparent to me when when we sat down to talk about universal design for learning and and just talking about the research behind universal design for learning and assistive technologies. It just felt um, like these are my people. We were kind of on this same uh, wavelength and definitely we were all kind of moved by the same current. And so when I had the opportunity to expand my impact and, and, and join text Help, it was, it was a no-brainer for me.
0: I love that. And it's interesting. You're probably about the third or fourth person I've spoken to relatively recently who has almost been an advocate for a company based on them using it in their normal career um whether it's in the classroom or as a head teacher or something like that who's then moved into actually being an employee or actually being part of the company and i think that seamless transition just based on real life experience and real impact you can't get a better place than that
1: well and that's kind of how i felt is that i felt like um i did feel like it was time for me to to move into a new role but i really i i there was, it was really hard for me to let go of education. I couldn't see myself doing something outside of education. And I think that, again, I think other educators will tell you that, that if you've ever been a teacher, it just becomes such a profound part of your identity. Like, I don't know if I'll ever not be Mrs. Degner in some capacity. I just kind of always still feel like I am still that person. And in fact, it's so crazy. I actually just saw a, um, a former student. I did not have her, I had her sister. Um, and I have been out of the classroom now. So I spent six years in professional learning and then three years now with text help. So I haven't been in the classroom for nine years. I introduced myself to her as Mrs. Degner. And I can remember thinking, well, she doesn't have to call me Mrs. Degner. She's an adult holding her own child's hand. And we're in a grocery store. It was just so funny because I, I corrected myself. And I said, I guess I just, I'll, I'll, some part of me will always be that person. But yeah, I think that when you, You know, I've seen a lot of, I follow a lot of mindset kind of um, um, blogs and Instagram accounts and things like that, things that kind of inspire a a growth mindset in myself and and help me kind of pass it on to my own children. And one of the things that I saw the other day that made me feel kind of affirmed in my my choices is, um, you know, it was about not chasing a job and not chasing money, that if you want to find real happiness in your work, that it really is about... Um, you know, finding people who want to do the same kind of work that you want to do, and again, for me, it was it was um, very evident that that the the um, my colleagues at TextHelp and the the vision at TextHelp is certainly the the same current that has, has moved me in education and beyond.
0: Yeah, I love that. And and interestingly, this is a slight aside, but on, on the same sort of theme. Um, my my sister-in-law had this conversation with me once about she was looking to move into, into a different job. And and like I say, most of the time you're trying to think, what do I need to do to fit into the maybe the company role that I'm looking for? Or or you know, how do I make sure I place myself right? And she was completely the opposite. She was kind of this company's gonna actually be something that i'm looking to see that i want to get into so i'm I'm almost sort of interviewing them to see if i want to be part of this and i thought what an interesting mindset and and, and a way of going about it
1: and i feel like that's really i think that that is such a fantastic approach i feel like um that that's how we find our people i think that's how we find like the work that is is going to be meaningful to us because i think that um you know if, if nothing else, I think that what we maybe we all hope for is that the work we do has an impact somewhere, um, and the sort of impact that we want it to have. And so I think looking for people who um, who have similar values, and looking for people who say this is these this is our moonshot, this, these are our goals um, that that have a clear vision and that that um, embrace growth mindset and things like that. I think that you know if you can if you can really find again those. Um, Those people who are are moved by the same work that you're moved by, I know people say, "Well, you'll never work a day in your life." Well, I have not found that to be true. I work very hard here, Um, but I enjoy. I enjoy it. Like I don't ever have a case of the Sunday nights. Like I know that some people do. They start. They have to use part of their Sunday to dread Monday, and I don't. I um, I I positively love it and find real meaning in this work.
0: Yeah, I love that. So important and so you know, as a global tech company has, you know, a company that's got millions of users around the world, take us into that first step, maybe, like you said, you know, you said it sort of helped sort of grease the wheels and, and the engine of, of how you would sort of doing your sort of education and your learning. So if people haven't come across it before, or can you just sort of give us a scenario or a situation where, I don't know, maybe, maybe the, the sort of um, parts of text help where you just thought, God, this really just changed and made my life so much easier in a kind of very sort of specific way if that makes sense
1: sure so i'll go back to read and write because that's where my own experience originated and um one of the things that um so the the school district that i was working in we were using read and write way back when read and write was a a software on a cd-rom that they were mailing out to schools And so I may have just given some something away of of my my age, but it was it was the, um, you know, like when 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 you loaded the software onto like the four resource computers, you know, that all, you know, like 12,000 of your students are allowed to use these four computers. And but one of the things that I remember um, one of my special education teachers saying is, if you think that any of your students could benefit from this. Um, They're allowed to take these CD-ROMs home and load it on their home computers. And that was when I first realized this school is, is my school district is providing this to all kids. There's no cost here. All they have to do is take it home and load it and they come back. and, And so one of the things that was really exciting was then when we made the move from, you know, software that you loaded on a CD-ROM to the Google Chrome extension, because I think it, it, it made um, the presence of Read&Write certainly more accessible, because all you had to do was click on the little extension rather than, than the other that someone else had deployed to you. Um, and at that moment, for me, um, it really struck a chord with what I was learning about Universal Design for Learning. Um, which is that one of the most important things you can do for yourself as a practitioner who's looking at universal design for learning is to look at your environment, meaning that, um, you know, how can you get the greatest economy of scale out of designing a learning environment that facilitates learning Um, and that allows students to be in charge of their choices and allows students to have some autonomy in the way they navigate their learning. And so when We went over to the Google Chrome extension, you know, and we we became a little more one to one. I won't say that we were one to one in our computing yet, but we had computer cards frequently, you know, kind of in our rooms that students were using. And um, as we made that move to one to one computing, um, read and write became part of the learning environment. And so at that time, it was really about making learners aware of their resources. um, Because the school provided it, Texthelp designed a fantastic experience with Read&Write, which was incredibly user-friendly. And so it really was a matter of making sure learners were aware of it. And um, I was kind of on my way in universal design for learning to letting go of being in charge of all the choices in the classroom, which is a really tough step to take. But read and write was one of the things that helped me take that step because it was really a matter of, um, you can read it to yourself, you can read it with a partner. Oh, and by the way, you can also use this text to speech feature. Well, my kids at that time were all dying to put in their AirPods and their earbuds and things like that anyway, because it was kind of a, it was it was a thing, everybody had them. And so plugging in and listening was an entirely different reading experience for so many kids. Um, and for so many, uh, before that, they had probably been told that's not really reading. Um, but the research is out there, it's evident that um, we, that, 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 that text to speech um, benefits many learners that you don't have to be a struggling reader or reading, you know, quote, unquote, below grade level to benefit from text to speech. And so that was one of the places where I it was most easy for me to let go of those choices and let my students um, decide how they wanted to consume text and um, from there, then it was kind of like, well, okay, they know how to use this, and I'm comfortable letting go of that choice. Let's move on to dictation. And so then we had conversations about writing. Um, because for so many students, they, you know, I took a, I had typing in school, right? So I learned to type. Um, and my students, though, did not have that. Like no one taught them home row and and all of these typing you know um, drills and things like that that I learned on and so some of them struggled with keyboarding, some of them struggled with just getting something on the page because they had been accustomed to um, writing with traditional tools and then you had other students who struggled with traditional tools and so um, it gave us a chance to expand the conversation about writing to well, let's talk instead about composing. Because composing is different than the act of writing, and it gave us a chance to say, you know, actual, you know, authors and people who write—they believe it or not—don't sit down with a paper and pencil most of them and and write a book, you know, one perfect sentence at a time. Um, they use lots of different tools. They, they use dictionaries and they use they use thesauruses and they they dictate some things and you know some people record and then you know have somebody else um you know transcribe later and so we kind of it opened the door to talking about lots of different kinds of composing and for so many students particularly when I was in what we called resource um, which is kind of like our was our study hall at that time and so um but it was always sectioned out by um by um discipline so because i was an english teacher for one period a day i was in the english resource um, and student did have the um, option of kind of moving between those areas so anybody who was sitting in english resource probably needed help on a paper or an assignment for their, you know, their language arts course, or, or they were reading something that they thought they might wanna have help with. And so the idea was that, well, there's an English teacher here who can help with that. And one of the things, again, it really kind of came down to, to um, resource awareness because I would routinely walk by a student staring at a blank computer screen and I'd say, what are you working on? And they'd say, I'm supposed to be writing a paper. And I would invite them to bring the computer and come up to my desk. And we would sit there and chat about the writing assignment. And inevitably, they could tell me they, anything about the writing assignment. I'm supposed to write about this. This is what we talked about in class. Here's what I've read so far. And they could, you know, they could tell me what this was supposed to be about. And yet there they sat with a blank screen and this look of defeat and frustration and so again introducing them to hey see this little purple puzzle piece so that's a literacy toolbar this little tool and that literacy toolbar actually you can just talk it out the way that you talked it out with me and so I would go put them someplace you know where they could you know feel comfortable just talking and talking and talking into this you know the computer and that actually made such a difference. Because for students who sit and struggle to, at the end of a 45 minute resource period, close down your computer and see that you're still looking at a blank screen, they've made no headway. They sat there and thought about it and simply couldn't get something down on, on the on the paper, on the screen. It's incredibly defeating and it, and it creates a cycle of writing is hard, I, I'm not good at writing, and see, here's evidence, I failed at it. I sat down and for 45 minutes I couldn't write. And so what it really does is creates, it breaks that cycle, I think, and, and creates a cycle of success because if you're a writer, well, the, the mark of success is production. I created something, I wrote something. And so for a student who was accustomed to sitting there for 45 minutes with a blank piece of paper or a blank screen, suddenly they have a full screen and they have all this text. It's their own original thoughts that now we can go back and edit and paragraph and work with it and and improve it and kids start to learn that it's actually this is how it's done this is how writing is done that it's not um it doesn't necessarily mean you and traditional tools in a struggle um that we can introduce lots of different tools so that you can really get the job done and feel like you've done it well
0: I love that on on so many different levels. One in terms of like, you say, the tools are there to help you once you kind of understand how you can put those in, but actually, it's much more lifelike, isn't it? It's that kind of I, you know, I need to create something. Where are the tools that I need for that? How can I put it down? Like you say, am I just? putting some notes down, am I talking, am I, however you go about it, which is what you do when you've left school in inverted commas and you're sort of doing life properly rather than how school should be. So I think setting that in that environment where, no, we're learning now and this is, and you'll learn in the same way. Yes, it might not be an English paper, it might be something else, but whatever it happens to be, which is going to be relevant to you, whichever part of your life that is, or your job or study or however it goes about, you've already experienced that. So your, your, your starting point is, uh, where can I find the tool? How can I go about it? What works for me? You know, like I say, I'm going to keep running into the same brick wall because that's how I think I should do it. I'm going to find something else. or find a way around it, and that's going to do it. So, you know, like I say, it solves that immediate kind of writing and reading problem, but by the same token, it also gives them a whole kind of different way of sort of making making sense for that.
1: Well, and I think that, I mean, it. Really, we could use a million different analogies, but at the end of the day, you, you use the term creating and building, and that really is what we're doing. If we're reading, we're really kind of like, we're creating meaning, right? Like we're looking at language, we're, we're attaching our, our own prior knowledge in some way and making sense of language and, and trying to, if we're, if, we're, if we're reading to learn, then we're trying to figure out, you know, what are the other contexts and, and what is how can I transfer this this knowledge and these skills to somewhere else in my life that, that I find to be relevant or places where I spend time. And I think that writing is like the same way. I'm looking to create something. Um, and if somebody gave me a hammer and told me to go build a house, I can, <laughs> I'm probably not going to build a really great house. I need lots of different kinds of tools. I might need a hammer sometimes. There's a time, there's a, you know, there's a time for that. Um, but there are lots of other tools that might be more efficient, um, that might be, you know, better suited for the job, or it might just simply be suited for the, you know, the style of work that I'm, that I'm doing at that time. And so, um, I really love the, um, It was exciting to build that resourcefulness both with kids who were, you know, I consider to be my kids because they were in my class, or whether it was just kids who were sitting in my resource a couple times a week, because I could see that um, once they experienced it, you could see what success, I mean, you really could see this is what success feels like. Um, And so suddenly then reading tasks don't have to be a place where I go to fail or where I go to struggle. Writing tasks don't have to be a place where I go to stall out or, you know, not produce anything that I'm supposed to be producing. That definitely, again, you start um, for for people who, who struggle, and, and everyone does, like that's one of the things we repeat so many times here at Help. and in my, co- with my, my fellow colleagues who are in the, the world of universal design for learning is that like everybody struggles, it's not if, it's when, um, and, and some people are going to struggle for, for academic reasons, other people struggle for, for reasons that are um, purely related to affect. Um, I mean, if you've ever had a fight with your spouse and then tried to go to work and and really focus on what you're supposed to focus on, you know that's really tough. Um, and kids are the same way. Um, and so, if our learners are coming to us and, and they've got other things in their mind and they've got other traumas that they're they're trying to um, kind of work on top of, um, then there are lots of reasons that they might struggle. Um, and and you know, having access to the right assistive technology. Um, can provide those those vital academic scaffolds, but it also can provide some of the the vital scaffolds for just um, self-regulation and engagement and motivation. Um, I always tell people I've got a um, he's a ninth grader now, so he's 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 completing his uh, his first week of high school here in Indiana. With uh, and one of the things that was um, a major struggle for us. Uh, I say us because I very much felt involved in the struggle. (laughs) I was not in middle school, but when he went through middle school, um, engagement and like just willingness to um, put a toe in the water um, was a real issue in our house. And so a lot of the time, having access to to text-to-speech or dictation or a dictionary online, or any of the the tools that were available in read and write, because he also uses it. Um, for him, you know, he doesn't struggle academically, but was it was like his 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 um <laughs> his his spirit was struggling, his his willingness, his self regulation was struggling. And what those tools taught him is that it is possible to get a job done that you might not feel like doing. Um, because certainly he would love to go play hockey or go play with his friends or, or go stare at his phone rather than do some of the work that he's assigned to do when he gets home from school. Um, but he also knows that he's got to get it done. If he wants to do any of those other things, and so for him, a lot of times it is, um, and a lot of students, I think, a lot of learners, it's not just the difference between does it allow me to do the work? Um, because certainly, I think there are there are students, there are so many students that text help solutions make learning possible that um, they're they're completely necessary for them to engage in learning. But for some students like my high schooler it may it, it really is like well it's 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 not necessary he can do it. if I were to really force him he can do it. Um, but that's not my role. I don't think either as an educator or as a parent it's my job to coach him up to teach him how to self-regulate to teach them how to work toward a goal even when it feels hard and I think that those tools really do that so sometimes I think they're the great academic scaffold and then sometimes they provide like the 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 motivation and the willingness to engage in work.
0: I think that's so important and I I think what there's a whole other podcast about homework and working outside of school having been already studying for so many hours and that kind of thing but you know I mean one of the things I've learned is I've got older and you know and I've got multi sort of faceted career in terms of being a musician and a performer and a teacher and podcaster and that kind of thing is that there's a time and a place in each day where you work best you know being creative and that kind of thing earlier on in the day you've got a bit more energy some of the lower energy stuff you know in the evening but also that might change day to day or month to month or summer to winter or that kind of thing but i think like that sort of extension of what you said there is that kind of you know i've got to write this stuff i need i'm prepping it's not for due to tomorrow but i know in the next few days this needs to be handed in in some form or another there's no way i can sit down and just write out half an essay or even get it done but i could talk and dictate and record something which gives me all the framework i need i'm doing the prep it's not going to take me too long but i've I've done what i can do in the best way that i can do it in the time that i've got available to support me and then it feels like much less weighty doesn't it and but at the same time you are making progress and like you said you're making those learning decisions and using the challenges but actually doing it in a way that supports you best
1: i love that and i think that that is um we talk about coaching learners into making choices i mean if you think about all of the, the the cognitive lift that goes into the way that we make choices and even just plan out an evening, um, the school that I worked at in the last few years that I was in public education is actually just right across the street right here. And I always thought about how interesting... Um, it is like the space between the walking out the, the front door of that school across the street into my own front door uh, of my house and thinking about, as I walked across the parking lot and waited for traffic and then crossed the street, how much planning I did in that small space of time for what my evening would look like. That I had these papers to grade, I had this professional learning to plan that this person has to be at practice by this time. I have to feed everyone then between this and this window of time. And this is what I've got in the refrigerator, what I can fix. And I think about how much executive function goes into that and how many choices in that time that I made, um, uh, You know, like the choice whether or not to, to sit down for 15 minutes or to, to take the dogs for a walk for 10 minutes, so I have time for that. Um, and, and looking at how many choices I would make in that small space of time, and that's because over time, um, know, someone taught me how to make good choices or through a series of trial and errors, I learned how to make good choices, probably some of both. And um, I think about how important that it is to help our learners make choices like that, to help them understand, you know, these are the parameters of the work. This is what you're being expected to do. These are the tools you have available to you this is the goal of this work. So this is the skill you're working toward, or this is the knowledge you're trying to acquire. Um, and then to you know to start coaching them into making those kinds of choices, because ultimately what we really want is students who know how to learn and um, students who know what works best for them. And the only way that, that way they find out what works best for them is if our learning spaces are safe places to fail. Um, to learn that oh that was actually not the right choice for me I'll make a different one next time, and um, or that you know this is actually th- these are these are the perfect tools for this job, and then remembering then as we move on like that's usable knowledge when I have a task similar to that or if I have even a portion of a task that's similar to what I just did, remembering that that you know kind of calling on my resources and remembering that this is these are the things that help me get that sort of work done, um, but I think when, when you're the adults in charge of learning, it's easy to make assumptions about executive function and easy to make assumptions about what, what learners can do, especially as they start looking older. Um, you start, start assuming that, well, because you look like an adult, you know, you, you, you must have these, these other skills that I as an adult have, or that other adults I know must have. And, um, I think that it's, uh, Providing some of these tools like Read&Write, EquatIO is our, is our math and STEM equivalent to, to Read&Write. Um, I think providing the right assistive technologies to students does facilitate that decision making um, and does facilitate the, the sort of autonomy um, that, that learners will have to have when they leave us. Um, because I think if they get into post-secondary education or they get into a workplace and for the first time they're asked to be autonomous in their work, they'll fail. They'll have a hard time with it.
0: And I think the more and more I have these conversations, um, where you know the, the the headline is, you know, I'm talk, we're talking about um, a global tech company. We're talking about software and technology. But underneath all of that, or actually more importantly, at the heart of all that, it's about, you know, human to human interaction. It's about supporting children. It's about their development. It's about, like I say, all the skills that you you so brilliantly put. And and I think I think people's perception then starts to change because you can hear that actually they are tools and they do work in a way but they're more than just tools to solve that initial problem they have much more breadth and much more understanding and more transferable skills like you say across the board and i and i think that the more and more i have conversations with tech companies in in inverted commas and certainly was the case when i was at bet in london you know all of the conversations were about that sort of child first child centered idea of learning and and the skills that these companies were bringing into the not just the education world but the learning world as a whole, which I think when you sort of look at it in that sort of global setting from a, a that sort of big umbrella of we're all learning all the time in that kind of way, that becomes very exciting and the breadth of that just feels like everything's a win. Like I say, even if it's a, there's a succession of failures in inverted commas as you're moving forward.
1: Well, I, You know, I, I think, um, at least from my own experiences, I think you'll be hard-pressed to find um, a, a, a person who is um, – in assistive technology, as a leader, um, and so for us at TexHealth, that's Martin McKay. He's our, our CEO and founder, um, and Don Johnson um, is is the um, you know founder of of, of Don Johnson um, uh, Solutions, um, who we've recently merged with. And both of them have profoundly human stories about why they got into assistive technology. So it wasn't like well. This is going to make us a lot of money. Um, It wasn't, you know, like this is the next big thing. Um, Everyone will want these tools. It really, you know, a lot of people in in the world of assistive technology and in educational technology, they're there because they had a a profoundly human um, experience that made them realize that I need to be able to communicate and understand, or this person I love. And, and value need to be able to communicate and understand. And um, for our CEO and, and for Don Johnson, who's now on our board, like that really is how it all began for them. Um, and so at the, you know, when you say at the heart of it, there, there really is this human experience and this, this, um, this belief, um, I mean, our, our mission statement and um, so much of our work um, at Tux Help, revolves around a very simple statement which is that everyone deserves to understand and be understood and every time i say it it's like well it seems like such a simple statement but the work that goes into making that a reality whether you are a developer for text help or whether you're an educator who is sharing text help solutions with your learners and and families and colleagues that work is incredibly complex. Um, It's a heavy lift. It's it's difficult. Um, And it's and it's highly emotional work. Um, Teaching is highly emotional work um, because it is. um, I think that when you are truly helping. Learners reach their full potential and and recognize um, their potential and expand possibility for them, that um, it is very much a form of love. And a very much a a form of reverence and respect, and so I and I feel that way every time that I work with my schools here in Indiana and in Michigan, these two states that they support. I um, I love being their person. I love teaching them about these solutions. I love. Um, helping them figure out how to get this information to your students and families. I love helping them figure out how do we increase your usage? We talk, you know, when people talk about educational software and and assistive technologies, they talk a lot of times about um, usage in terms of events, like a user event. But in my schools, we've started talking about those are learning events. Like, let's attach a person to that. Like, the person is a student who was struggling and they decided to open up that that extension, and in that extension, they found the help that they needed. Um, and so it, it really is, um, its its and, and maybe it's because I i, I am kind of like, like the, the, the touchy-feely language arts teacher at heart, but to me, there is a real um, a profound love and reverence and respect um, that we show to learners when we introduce them to tools that will help them reach their full potential. And again, yeah. I go back, go back to that statement all the time of everyone deserves to understand of the understood and such a simple statement, but but deep and wide in its meaning and in the work that it takes to make that happen.
0: Yeah, I think it's brilliant. And I, and I think it's why I love doing the podcast, because you get to hear the people behind, you know, the website name or, or, or that kind of thing, but you also get that sense of, you know the, the the human voice of it, and um and, and I and I think that's that's where these conversations are so powerful because it kind of gives everyone that's listening, whether they've had some experience of a company before or especially if they haven't, that kind of you know they can see that journey, you know they can see that child that's been touched by a piece of software, but like you say, actually what you've done is given them a tool which has enabled their life to expand, and and whatever those tools are, as we said, is is really really key. Yeah. Um and I'm always interested, especially people who've gone into being educators as well. Is there a teacher or an education experience that you remember that had a big impact and, and maybe has that sort of fed into into your sort of professional world as well?
1: Yeah, you know I had um, I had first of all a lot of fantastic teachers. I think that people who get into education probably get into it because somewhere along the line they had an educator who made them realize like that one person actually can make a difference. Um, and so for me, again, I had so many amazing educators, um, who, you know, both kind of helped me along the way, but also really challenged me and and pushed on me when, um, it wasn't always very comfortable. Um, and at that time we weren't talking about growth mindset. You know, we just only, it, it was, you it, know, it always kind of seemed like, well, this teacher's always on my case. Um, doesn't feel like, you know, well, they're challenging me so that I'll grow. But, you know, I got into language arts, I think, because um, as a learner, reading um, was a big part of my family dynamic. My mom was a reader. My sister was a reader. We shared a bedroom um, and she read to me frequently. Um, and so reading and and writing were something that I really loved. Um, and math, um, always sort of felt like in any of the math classes that I took always sort of felt like a language that I didn't quite learn how to speak. Um, it felt like, well, you know, it was the equivalent of like, yes, I can read the menu, but please don't ask me to have a conversation. (laughs) And, um, I will never forget. I had two uh, math teachers um, when I was in high school. Um, one was Becky Webb, and the other was her husband, John Webb. And they were so good at helping me understand, helping all of their students, I think, understand um, the some of the most complex, you know, high school algebra and uh, and beyond uh, concepts. And a big part of it was that they um, used visuals in a time when a lot of people, you know, like they they saw visuals and manipulatives as being something that was well, that's what you use to help elementary students understand. Um, but to me, it seems like well, they must have had some understanding somewhere along the line of um, that you know, if if you want students to really understand math, you have to get beyond procedural mo- knowledge, um, and you have to really help them understand why they're doing what they're doing and and what does it look like because all math kind of has a, a real um physical um uh you know appearance or a real physical entity in some way and i felt like they were so good at helping me see and understand uh, a language that until then i really i felt so intimidated by it and and my my standardized test scores across the board were like amazing in language arts and you barely made it in math, but great job. You, you know, it's like, I, I I would always kind of eek over the line and I was a good student. My dad was a former teacher. And so, you know, you didn't dare not do your homework or didn't dare not bring home the right, the right grades and marks. Um, But I, you know, I, I, I had to get a lot of help in math, and, and that was maybe the first experience that I had um, with with, with uh, Becky Webb and John Webb, and they were at Rushville Consolidated High School in Rushville, Indiana, which is a little bitty Midwestern town um, in the United States, little bitty Midwestern town, surrounded by cornfields all over the place, but they were um, quite ahead of their time, both in their empathy their compassion, but also in their understanding, I think, I had a a very sharp memory, so I could memorize procedures all day long, what step came next and what step came next, but I never understood why I was doing what I was doing in mathematics until I had them as teachers. And that's one of the things that I also love about, you know, the assistive technology tools um, that are available at TechSELP. Um, I briefly mentioned EquatIO, but EquatIO is, is kind of, to me, it's like, well, that's the John and Becky Webb of, <laughs> of assistive technologies, because um, it, gives, it gives learners a chance to really understand math, um, to say, well, forget about memorizing these steps, because anybody can memorize if given enough time and, and given enough, you know, drills. But what about really understanding the language of math? What about really having a conceptual understanding of it? What about being able to express yourself in different ways in, in a math class in the same way that you might in a language arts class by using a tool like, you know, read and write, uh, you know, with with dictation and prediction and things like that, that it takes all of those concepts and puts it into math and STEM courses. And um, so to me, it's um, that, that experience of those teachers, may, again, it's like it takes something that to me felt impossible to understand and made it possible for me to understand it
0: yeah i love it I, I love that that analogy of the, of the two like say the, the, the program and the reality of people and understanding how that mix goes together i think that's really yeah. impactful um what was the best piece of advice you've ever been given and or maybe is there a piece of advice now you might give your your younger self uh, a younger Joni, looking back that I, and i always caveat this slightly with the fact that we might not have taken it on board when we were younger but even so it might be quite useful <laughs>
1: So one of the things I'm going to go back to this conversation. I so I just facilitated a fantastic conversation last week at CAST UDL symposium um, between David Rose, who is the founder and the the, um, uh, the the father of Universal Design for Learning. He was the, the co-founder at CAST and. Um, And I facilitated a conversation between David and Martin McKay, um, our founder and CEO here at Texthelp. And one of the things that um, came up in that was a conversation that David and I had had years ago when I first met him. And I was so in awe of him because he was somebody that I had um, (laughs) read all of his books. Um, He's who helped me understand universal design for learning. And the first time that I saw him speak, I can remember thinking... Um, this, is, this is where it begins and ends with teaching and learning, the things that he's talking about. And um, one of the things that he and I talked about, our very first conversation that we had together was a, a, a poem called Thank You, Robert Frost. And the first line of the poem says um, uh, that someone asked Robert Frost if he had hope for the future, and and his response was that he had hope for the future and also for the past. And one of the things that it kind of goes on to talk about in that poem is actually just being generous and forgiving of yourself in the past. And I think it's so easy for educators especially to look back and remember the kids you did not reach. uh, Remember and to think on things that you would do better. And you know, I often think about, gosh, I wonder what it would be like for me to learn math if I had had Aquasio. Would I have? Would I have instead become a math educator um, if I had felt like that that understanding and that 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 possibility of expression in math that I felt in language arts? Um, but I think it's important to to look on our our history as being educators and our history of working with learners, and to be forgiving, um, because it's uh, i heard it said many times that our families and our students come to us at the very best version of themselves that they have. So if you get a kid who is, is, um, is, is uh, emotional, who is angry, who is tired, who is hungry, the truth is that is the best version that he can possibly bring to himself that day. And I think it's important to also give ourselves the same grace that if you're an educator who's feeling tired If you're an educator who's feeling like, well, I didn't reach everybody today, or you look back on your past and feel that way, to look on yourself with grace and say, I showed up the best way that I could that day. I showed up with the best version of myself with all the knowledge that I had on that day and all the skills I had on that day and all the professional learning that I had brought with me and I did the best job I could do on that day. And I think that sometimes it's, it's tough to be forgiving of yourself. I think we forgive others more easily than we forgive ourselves. But I think that there's so many times I use my own shortcomings as, you know, <laughs> I don't want to say cautionary tale, maybe it is, um, but when I'm doing professional learning with with my schools, and I say, Look, I can remember this one time I had this kid and it inevitably ends up being a story about um, it was someone I didn't reach that I could have done a better job with um, had I had the right tools or I had I had the right skills and things like that. But so I think that one of the things I would go back and tell myself and something I would share with other people is to to be forgiving and to know that kids and kids show up the very best version of themselves they can be. Our families send us the best version of their kid that they've got. Um, they're not hiding a, a, a secret better version of their kid somewhere at home. Um, that's the best version they've got. Um, and and that, you know, that, that everybody's showing up to do the best job that they can. I don't think any teacher walks into a classroom and says, I'm gonna really mess these kids up today. Just watch <laughs> me, watch me go. I don't think anybody does that. Um, so I think it's important to be forgiving of ourselves and to um, to, to just extend the same sort of grace that we would extend to our colleagues and extend to our, our, our students.
0: So there's often a resource, which is a really important thing for us and it could be professional or personal, but is there a, a podcast, a video, a book, a film, or a song or anything that you'd like to share?
1: So. I really, um, one of my, my favorite um, resources, if you, I'll, I'll give you a couple so we've well, got some choice because that's what Universal Design is all about, some choice. If you are active on Twitter, um, one of the things that I would strongly encourage you to explore is the hashtag UDL chat um so udl stands for universal design for learning um so universal design for learning um has got a fantastic um, community okay. of supportive educators, administrators, researchers, people who want to talk about best practices and how to reach every student. Um, I'm one of the facilitators on that chat. So, and but the, that hashtag is open all the time. So we'll have people post a question out there. And just because it's not um, like the actual time for the chat, um, people get on there and respond all the time. They follow that hashtag, so I just would encourage you to explore that hashtag um, if you are somebody who's like who loves digital resources and interacting in that way. Um, if you are um, someone who is um, is is looking into um, yeah, if if you, if you love getting your hands on on the next book, um, there are a couple of things that I would recommend and and. I, Katie Novak is is a brilliant um, American author and educator who is a dear friend of mine and she is a um, she's a resource machine um and and just such an asset to so many of us in education and she's got a fantastic website NovakEducation.com. but if you're a book person like I am like I'd love to get my hands on a book I'd love to highlight it and make you know make make my notes and things like that um and and dog ear all of the pages um she has there is a, a new version of um her best-selling book uh udl now which is really one of the first practitioner books um, that i ever read uh everything before that was really about the theory um and and research behind universal design for learning but um katie's book uh udl now is is one of the first practitioner books where it says it's you know, things like what we've talked about Where we said well hey text to speech is something you can put into your learning environment and then students can use it anytime they want. So she's it's really great a great practitioners book. Um, the one of the other um, the other resources that I would definitely point you to um, is the text help website. Uh, because we do um, our own podcast series called Text Help Talks. Um, I have a podcast series on there that I do um, called Take 20 with, with, um, uh, with Text Help, where I just talk to my, my educators that I work with. Uh, I pull them out and we talk for 20 minutes and you just kind of get a sense of who are they? What sort of work are they doing? um what's their partnership with Help been like and and what would they say to folks who are thinking about bringing assistive technology in a universal way to their students um so those those are those are some of the the things that I love and look at a lot and participate in a lot and and contribute to a lot and I would love for for um any of your listeners to to check those things out and, and to connect in those ways
0: Fantastic. And just to finish off, the acronym FIRE as part of Education on FIRE is obviously important to us. And, and that's feedback, inspiration, resilience, and empowerment. And I'm always just curious, what's your sort of first thought when when, when you hear those words?
1: So I think that um, like when I hear that, to me, one of the, the, the words that comes to mind is community. Because I think it is, well some of us are, are so fiercely independent and I'm, I'm almost dangerously independent. Like if I don't have a ladder, I'll, I'll stand on, on a toothpick to get a job done. Um, and I know that lots of educators are like that, that they will just go and get it done no matter what the cost, because that's what you do. If you're working with students, what is the alternative? What not do the job? Um, and so I think that, you know, when I hear feedback and inspiration and resilience. And what was it, tell me the last one?
0: Empowerment.
1: Empowerment. To me, those are all things that are derived from a community of learners. And I think that teaching can be, unless you have got collaborative structures in place, teaching can be an isolating profession, can be. Um, It's easy to get so busy you don't use the restroom you don't eat you stay in your room you 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 grade your papers you do the planning you 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 interact with your students and then and and then you hurry home to do all of the things you have to do to to attend to your personal life and your family life and things like that and i think it's really important to find structures that create a community of learners for educators Um, because i really think that it is we we're gonna have feedback from our students and from our, our colleagues It's really important to find inspiration around you um, and to, 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 you know, that that you've got to be able to, um, I think, look to the people around you to, to, to to help you when, when, when things are tough. Um, So that's. To me, it's, it's, uh, it's been critical for me, both my, my teaching community when I was in the classroom, my UDL community when I kind of started, you know, down that path of professional learning and speaking. I had so many people that brought me into the fold and really lifted me up. And I think it's important that we've got a community of learners like that, that we feel supported by, but that we also feel like we make a meaningful con- contribution to.
0: Joni, thank you so much. It's been a really fascinating and insightful conversation. And um and I love the fact that these never go in the direction I might have had a preconceived idea about, or or indeed just like I said, bring in that human, real, sort of honest conversation um life into into something which i just is the heart of education and i think it's people like yourself doing what you're doing that really shines a light on that so first of all thank you so much for being here and sharing all of that and also just leave us with that website again so people can check out more more details about text help
1: yep. thank you so much it's been an absolute honor to be here and definitely want people to, to connect with us at text help and to, to to think about you know if we're not currently um part of your learning environment that we certainly would love to be.
0: Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com.